Welcome to the Heavenly Banquet, where the hungry are filled with good things. I'm Chad. And I'm Charlotte. Charlotte, so we're doing the second reading, gospel reading for Advent. Okay. Which is a great one. You'll okay. love this. I'm excited. It's a Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him and all the region along the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now, the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is the word of the Lord. Merry Christmas to everybody. <laughs> yeah, that's got jingle bells all over it. So... Oh, JB, what do you think about him? I guess, okay, listening, I wrote some notes, like, in prep for this, mm -hmm. and then while I was just listening to read it, I, the question that the text immediately brings to mind is, why were these people all coming to see this wild, outrageous, doesn't-know-how-to-dress <laughs> dude? I mean, this yeah. guy is off the charts... Yelling at people, mm -hmm. not living by anyone else's rules, mm -hmm. although I have a lot to say about the way he is living, but I mean, just why would you be attracted to that other than like a spectacle? Mm -hmm. You know, like there's a there's this wild dude down by the river mm -hmm. who's just yelling and dunking people in the river. Yeah. But if, you know, but like the t this text is saying, you know, Everybody is going out to go yeah. see this guy. They were buying whatever he was selling. And even even though he yells at them, you know, he sees many Pharisees and Sadducees are still coming for this baptism. Just everyone needs to, to wants to be, is drawn to this this figure. I mean, isn't part of it his message that the kingdom of what is it? Does he say kingdom? It's Matthew. So the kingdom of heaven is near. Yeah. So maybe that was the impulse. Oh, he can't be. He can't. He can't have been the only person yelling that. Well, that's true. You know, because he's, you know, goes on is quoting Isaiah. I mean, he's saying, 
I guess what one thing that I'm just finding interesting right now is he's both saying and doing things that all the prophets before him have said and done mm-hmm. in some ways, which is both exceptional and entirely ordinary. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just fitting the same pattern. So in what way does he stand out that then it's like, oh, we should all go and get dunked by this guy. Yeah. Um, is just is interesting to me um, that people were were drawn. Like, how did they know who who told somebody else mm-hmm. what part of his message was standing out? Was it not the message, but the way that he was living? You know, as as described in these other verses, that he's dressing differently. He's eating locusts and wild honey he's got these rumors swirling around him he's he's, a wild man yeah but you know he's well attested not only does he show up in all four gospels but even josephus talks about him Mm -hmm. um and the guy who puts him to death uh, herod antipas Mm -hmm. he actually liked him at least yeah so yeah people were really drawn to this guy so something was different about him. Well, and let's deal with again, Merry Christmas. Yeah. Yeah, I mean this is a why are we reading? Of course he's preparing for the coming of Christ. Yeah. So, okay. He's literally doing that in the gospels. He's also a complete parallel to the life of Christ. Right. So the messages are not dissimilar. No. Uh, we've got this auspicious birth in both occasions. Angels have foretold. In Luke, right. There seemed to be like maybe a, a six-month lag or something. They're cousin-ish, depending on how southern you are, whether you count them <laughs> or not. And, um, you know, and we watch John also go through an arrest and extrajudicial execution, mm-hmm. you know, by tangling with the authorities, by just speaking truth. He's actually not done anything wrong. Yeah. The person, Herod, who executes him, like you're saying, uh, likes him, doesn't want to do this, do but it. he's also causing him extreme trouble, mm-hmm. both in society and within his own little family. And mm-hmm. so he's just got to go, uh, which I think parallels a lot of the trouble that you know where Jesus gets into with both Pilate and the Sanhedrin is just like this is just whatever this is mm-hmm. right or wrong it's just too much it's just drama and it's unrest and can we put an end to it mm-hmm. sort of thing so we have all that to play with and i think what's extraordinary to me in these little 12 verses here is it references, in my mind, like almost all of salvation history leading up to this point. All right, say more about that. Okay. So, so we've already said, like, he's, he's <clears throat> saying and doing the same thing all the prophets are doing, right? I mean, the whole, d- repent. The, mm-hmm. kingdom of, the kingdom of heaven or the day of the Lord. Right, in the Old Testament it would be day of the Lord. Is, is at hand. Right, just it's near, it's coming. Get ready. Get ready. Right? It's always 
the the message, right? But then we also have all these little, um, I think, ticks that that um, hearken to bigger points in that story of salvation history. So, one, if I, I can't, I can't quite decide whether to go through salvation history or. I'm going to go through the way the text is lined it out here. So first of all, repent for the kingdom is come near. Um, this is the one who the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So that part of Isaiah is a post-exile call to return to Jerusalem. Okay. That's... We're going to make the city is going to be restored, mm -hmm. the temple rebuilt, et cetera, et cetera. Um, here we go. Everybody come out of exile, come back home, right? But that's a huge, obviously, story for yeah. these people that yeah. we're making this uh, connection to. John wore clothes of camel hair with a leather belt around his waist. Elijah. Elijah. Yeah, absolutely. He wore this the same description is made of Elijah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So you have this uh, call to Elijah. Elijah, you know, this kind of background music of Elijah's return. Um, both John and Jesus get mistaken for Elijah at different points, I think. Um, so you got that. I also kind of, because I was musing on this larger argument that maybe I'd like to make one day. Yeah. Um. It also brought to mind he's wearing animal skin mm -hmm. as opposed to what everybody else is wearing. So we have that kind of hair shirt repentance garb thing yeah. happening too. But also um, the uh, Genesis 3 clothing that God makes mm -hmm. um, when Adam and Eve are shuffled out and they need something. Uh, so the fact that he's got on this camel's hair shirt and a leather belt... Is such a primitive garment yes. too. Yeah. So just thinking is like just put just cover yourself with anything, but that that being this first kind of animal sacrifice happening, hearkening back to then. Mm -hmm. Then my favorite thing, the people, um, his food. Yeah. Was locust and wild honey. Yeah. You ought not be eating that. No I'm kidding. <laughs> That's a crazy thing to eat, right? So then I was thinking, okay, well, what are locusts in the Bible? They're the instrument, uh, they're what the prophets are always, here come the locusts. Here, uh -huh. And like an army, swarms of them, they're described yeah. in the prophetic books as the instrument of God's wrath. Judgment. As the result of sin. Right? Yeah. The, repercussion, the repercussions, repercussions of sins. Um, locusts coming through. So this idea that he's he's already starting to destroy in some small way, just symbolic maybe, yeah. um, this instrument of wrath that that's being put aside now. And he's he's also, it's so brilliant in my mind, to be eating the thing that causes famine. Uh, yeah. He's consuming... That which consumes fields and starves people. I think yeah. it's so That's cool. That's interesting, yeah. Um, and wild honey, 
the only association I got for honey is these lands flowing with milks of honey. Milk and honey, yeah. So he's standing kind of in this cusp <clears throat> between wrath and paradise okay here yeah but he's clearly leaning into the paradise part because he's already being shown as a character as a a type let's say yeah he's the type of christ right as one who is literally destroying the instruments of death interesting in a way and where is he doing all this at the jordan well they cross over into the promised land yeah Yeah. Yeah. So all of this is happening in, I mean, just this huge eschatological space. I Mm -hmm. mean, it's the cusp between two worlds. It's these places, these pinpoints of salvation history. So you have um, Adam and Eve are being ejected from paradise and yet also lovingly provided for in some way. They're both being cursed and taken care of, right? This hair shirt thing but and then all of these promises of this return to uh, to paradise to a, a natural order that is going to sustain us he's standing there um which is also this background language in this passage from isaiah that's quoted here right is is that the desert is going to blossom yeah right and the uh, lion and the lamb are going to lie together and the paradise will be restored so this wild figure standing in that We've got part of the um, the Exodus story in here with the milk and honey. We have everything in the Jordan, the River Jordan. Yeah. We have everything happening around the locust and plagues. That can be Exodus too. That's all of the rest of the prophets. They keep coming through. But this man standing kind of between these yeah. two worlds, proclaiming both of them at the same time, I think is just extraordinary. Yeah, that's fascinating. I hadn't really thought about any of that. And I guess if you if you wanted to lean into that, you know, even thinking about the vipers. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I'm going to take that back. I don't like that. You know, locusts were considered ritually clean. That's cool. Yeah, Leviticus 11.22. Couldn't eat no bugs except for <laughs> locusts. Grasshoppers, crickets, you could have all of them you wanted. And that's interesting, too, because that's supposed to be cut, or one of the ideas of, like, the future of food. Yeah, you hear people talk about this, yeah. Yeah, because there's all these issues with the meat industry and how Mm -hmm. bad that is ecologically. Greenhouse gases, how much land it takes up and uh, resources to grow this. And then thinking of insects, and particularly grasshoppers, crickets, locusts, yeah. as being pure protein, like no resources mm-hmm. to to be put into. People don't have the same kind of, generally, maybe this will happen later, kind of ethical concerns around how we treat them or Locus, something. Locusts, yeah. Yeah. And so kind of looking at this text even from a green lens and yeah. saying, wow, that's, even the fact that he's eating that, it's like... That's also like a sign of paradise, a sign of this return to a, gar- a garden where people were, Adam and Eve were vegetarian. Maybe they weren't there long enough to have a barbecue, but they were just picking at things and we're moving towards something that's more sustainable, a world yeah. that there is just food around to pick up and eat. Yeah. 
Yeah, what a strange thing to be like, oh, and by the way, these are good to eat. Yeah. You can eat these. Yeah. And and clearly, I'm assuming he knows this. Yeah. I mean, he's living this. He's thri- He's flourishing in the wilderness, which is counterintuitive, I think, for a lot of us. Oh, you can't do that, but here's this guy doing it. Right. Which maybe is is a sign also that of this this whole idea of you know, paradise to come, but already here, mm-hmm. right? That yeah, there's plenty just there to sustain him. Yeah, and not just he's not just eating locusts because <clears throat> it's like the only food. He's choosing <clears throat> that. He's choosing that. I think. And he's wild honey. That sounds extravagant. That sounds like feasting. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I think even beyond the symbolism, just like there's so much here I could eat. Yeah. That's fascinating. Outside of a world of agriculture mm. where none of it's being grown. It's just, it's just there. and can Yeah, yeah. He's not. Per, God provide. Yeah. Through creation. Let's maybe talk a little bit more about the second We'll probably come back with more to say about that first half, of, but this, I'm going to call it the second half of the text where uh-huh. he talks to the Pharisees and Sadducees. So they're coming out there to be baptized, and he's like, nah, 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 nah. Well, it doesn't say he doesn't baptize them, does it? What does it say again? Okay, when he saw, I don't know, I mean, that that's a question I would bring to the text, whether he baptizes them or not, right? It says, but when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. So I guess I'm saying, I'm not clear whether... That's a strange thing to say because he's, yeah, it is. <laughs> he's proclaiming uh, repentance because... The kingdom is near. And yet he castigates them because they should already be bearing fruit worthy of repentance. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Uh Uh-huh. Definitely, I think, well, maybe I'm just getting it from this one passage, but he really seems to be target of his critique. It's not all these other people, but it's the religious establishment. Yeah. And here I'm kind of thinking Qumran community because they had a problem with the same thing. But And so maybe I'm projecting that onto the text a little bit. But clearly he's unhappy with these guys for whatever reason. Well, the same reason Jesus probably is unhappy with them. But yeah, it seems kind of harsh. Or like, hey, we want to we get baptized. Maybe he does. You're right. It doesn't explicitly well, he- state that he doesn't. Well, in 11, he says, I baptize you with water for repentance. So, I mean, he could be addressing the crowds there. He could be including them. Yeah. Yeah, it does seem to be the idea that y'all should have already, y'all should already know. Well, you should yeah. have already repent. You should have already gotten to the you part should, where you're bearing You should the be fruit. bearing the fruit, yeah. And maybe that's kind of his hang up with him. Like, y'all should know better. Yeah, this isn't new news that to you, you keep. To, yeah. This, nobody walked out of this river and went to the Sadducees and was like, did y'all know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, that can't be yeah. the new gossip in town. It is, though, you know, this idea, we have Abraham as our ancestor, for I told you God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. So we're 
we're having this break with the an idea of a um, ethnic salvation. Right. You're saved by virtue of your birth. Yeah. So the fire talk. It's interesting that he says, he says, uh, every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Mm -hmm. That sounds like destruction. Yeah. But then he turns around and says that the one who's coming after him baptizes in with the Holy Spirit and fire. That sounds, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Cathartic. Refining. Refining fire. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm not sure what to do with that. But then that baptism, also that guy, that, that guy, whoever it is who's coming after John, has the winnowing fork is already in his hand and yeah. he's throwing the chaff in the Fire. Unquenchable fire, but that unquenchable fire again—that's the same phrase used to refer to God as an unquenchable fire. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think the traditional view of looking at that is not uh, refining. I like to question that, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. just because he associates the baptize, the baptism of Jesus, as a Holy Spirit and fire. I don't know. I've just always thought that's interesting. It was a, a purifying fire or a destroying fire. You know, he's warning those fig trees, though. <laughs> Poor fig tree. So, I mean, one thing I get from this text is the way he frames what he's saying, it's like, it. this is about to happen. And the one who comes after me, he's going to really separate the wheat and the chaff, you know. Yeah, and it's almost and it's also like it's not just about to happen. It is happening. Yeah. It's about to and it is, but like it always has also. Yeah. I mean the intersections here of time with like the salvation history we view as a kind of continuum mm -hmm. on the cosmic scale it isn't. It's already has happened, is happening, will happen. Will happen, yeah. Right? So all of these points between Eden, Exodus, the wilderness, Elijah, all the um, Babylonian captivity, all, all of that kind of coalescing in this as being also like part of all of that, the activity of God. It's not brought then to this moment. It's, it's not necessarily linear, is that what you're saying? Yeah. yeah. But I mean, clearly, John has some expectations that later on he begins to question, right? When he sends his disciples to ask Jesus, we can get into this. Next week. Mm -hmm. Are you the one or not? But Jesus, uh, well, yeah, we'll get into that next week. Yeah, I don't want to get too far into that. Although, I mean, Jesus seems to think that his answer is sufficient, and it seems to be sufficient to John. To John, yeah. The um, blind are... Yeah. Yeah. That the signs are. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I See, I guess part of what I'm experiencing is, again, my experience with Advent, and I think even more so when I was a music director, because it was like, why aren't we in Christmas carols already? Yeah. You know? 
and it being like, no, we need to spend, can we just spend some time here and we'll mm-hmm. like weave them in. But it being like, oh, you know, okay. Um, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel is fine. Yeah. But then otherwise let's get into Christmas. And this guy is, this is so cool to me. <laughs> like I want to hang out with him in here. Okay, maybe I've answered the question about why were all these people coming to the Yeah. to the river. He's an attractive figure in a sense. Yeah. I mean, how how do you apply this text for us today? I think obviously there's several routes you can go with with any text, but I I mean, I think you could really play hard with the uh, an ecological lens with this. And the restoration of nature, our role in at least not destroying it worth worse. I mean, my goodness, the bees, you know, beyond honey as sign of a promised land mm-hmm. stuff, the fact that he's in he's in a flourishing enough wilderness that you can just pick up wild honey mm-hmm. means that it's it's flourishing because of the evidence of bees being there, right? Um, uh, the pollinators. There's something there. I think the way that this is compacted, all of these big signs of salvation history into this really kind of small and unusual, this weirdo mm-hmm. here, um, maybe harken back to kind of what we were talking about last week with watching and looking and there actually are signs all around us and it doesn't need to be a whole a whole plague or an earthquake mm-hmm. or something but just how much the music of a story of our salvation history is everywhere always playing out mm-hmm. as it always has and that we seldom see those things until until they're past or we're kind of standing outside of it. Looking back. But it still always was there and always is there. I think if we wanted to lean into John as a type mm-hmm. of Christ, then this idea of him destroying death, of God putting away the instruments of God's wrath, but thinking about... Uh, John here eating death itself in a way mm-hmm. par- um, as a parallel to what the harrowing of hell of what we see Christ doing um, between crucifixion and Easter Sunday of taking on destroying death within his own body. I think that's like a fun and imaginative place to go. Yeah. And if there aren't a bunch of fourth and fifth century sermons talking about that, I'll not speak again, but I bet there are. I bet Chrysostom has something on on John and locusts and getting to Easter in there because that is like that is early church imaginative. Yeah, stuff. allegorical. What about his whole role about preparing the way for the, the Lord? Is that something we can appropriate for the church or? What do you mean? Say more. Well, that was it. I mean, <laughs> I'm asking. I mean, I'm genuinely asking. I'm not trying to. 
I don't was that role specifically just for him or kind of what you're saying that this his person embodies so many different levels of salvation history is I mean I think I have approached this text in that way that in in some sense we're all called to in some sense, um, fulfill this role of preparing the way for the Lord in some way, not only by living in a particular way, but also calling out nonsense, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I don't know. What I'm saying is I think the church, we should all start wearing (laughs) hair shirts, leather belts. I don't know. I think maybe there's a lesson here. I mean, this man also has nothing to lose. Right. Because he has nothing. So the idea that he is speaking so boldly to these Pharisees and Sadducees, they or anybody else have nothing they can take from him other than his life, and he's already abandoned that. He's free. Yeah. Which frees him up to speak the truth. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not going to get fired. He's not losing his house or home or family or anything else or his privilege. And His entire reputation is built upon him living as a follower of the Lord. Yeah. I mean, he's talking smack to, true smack to kings. Yeah. Who kind of like him. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's pretty impressive. I like that. The whole idea that he lives in such a way that he's free to speak the truth because he's got nothing to lose. Which is the advice that Jesus gives to the disciples when he sends them. I mean, just don't take anything. And when they don't want to listen, you walk away. You don't, you know. Yeah. So he is kind of a type, perhaps, for the church. Could Yeah. Or for what the church could be. Yeah, maybe it needs to be a little wilder. A little freer? Just proclaiming a kingdom that has already come and is coming to point to both ends of that, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, what is good? What is right? What are the signs that are evident around us now and what's promised and how we get ourselves in line or prepared for that? I mean, maybe that's why people were attracted to him, because they saw this guy, and they're like, you know what? He's embodying kind of, he's got this freedom. He's speaking boldly. Uh-huh. That's attractive. But, of course, they are yeah, coming out to repent. Yeah, but there's also something more. I, yeah, I mean, I'm like, I know I'm at cross-purposes with myself, because I'm like, yeah, but also... The guy who's yelling these same things on the street corner is kind of in the same spot, and we're not like. Oh hey. no, we are not attracted to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I don't. Maybe, maybe that's a lesson that we could listen more to some of these other voices and not be so hinged on appearance and hierarchy, and that the test is bearing fruit worthy of repentance, things like this, rather than um, a person's education or background or position Mm -hmm. or how they look. But there can be... The wilderness now is 
the guy at the end of the exit ramp. Exit ramp. I mean, think about the third century folks dwelling in the desert and people going out there because they saw these people as kind of embodying this free life, totally dedicated to God. Right. And they're like, give us a word from the Lord. Or I don't think that's what they said. What did they say? Give us a word. And then Abba Moses said X. You know what I mean? Does this kind of end up in the same place as last week? Be watchful, be ready, repent. I guess those are kind of main themes for Advent anyway. I don't, well, where would you go? I mean, I've, I've, I've named a couple per, maybe potential places I might go with the text. What do you think? Oh, I would definitely go with the, the usual <laughs> repent, be watchful. <laughs> Just gonna wag your finger at those people every week. Not wag my finger. I mean, it's just that's what we're called to do. Um, but there are just so many interesting things about him in general. A lot of things you pointed out, I hadn't even thought about. No, I'm never wagging my finger because I've already sat with the text for a whole week. I've already applied it to myself. You know what I mean? I think. Uh, I mean another almost too obvious place you can go to is use the text to talk about baptism. What the heck it is and what it means. Yeah. And if nothing else, you know, reemphasizing this part of it's also not a one time it's a very particular event that only happens one time. Yeah, as we've discussed. But is also an ongoing progression it's not just coming and getting this baptism it, it's bearing bearing, bearing the, the fruit. fruits of them yeah and actually exercising the the freedom that comes yeah i mean uh, the whole repent for the kingdom is near the kingdom is near i mean it's always near um you know and i always emphasize that repentance is like baptism, not a one-time thing. It's a way of life. It's a continual turning to God. And um, that's probably exactly where I would go. You know, you've said a lot of things I hadn't thought about, so those are really interesting, too.